for offer uh, for everybody to turn in their Bibles to First uh, Kings chapter eighteen. First Kings chapter eighteen. As you turn there, um, <clears throat> uh, we're going to be uh, preaching about uh, what it looks like to lose our identity. Last week, as you're turning to First Kings chapter eighteen, verse forty-one, is where we'll start. First Kings chapter eighteen, verse forty-one. As you're turning there, we'll we'll recap what we talked about last week. We we were in Second uh, Peter chapter one, verses three through nine and we ended up reading to uh, verses 11 and 12 and what we talked about is identity in christ and what that looks like to have identity in christ and characteristics that we will have if we have identity in christ and um we talked about uh, what it looks like when you lose those identities what happens when you uh, no longer partake of those characteristics or you no longer have those virtues um then you have to ask yourself have you lost your identity in christ or did you ever have it to begin with well, the, the interesting thing is uh, oh, this week and next week, we're going to cover two examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament of what it looks like when people lose their identity in Christ and, and what causes that to happen. One of the things, um, as you're still turning to 1 Kings 18, verse 41, one of the things that we, uh, we must remember is that it's very easy for us to uh, be tempted to fall away. It's very easy for us to be tempted to uh, stray from um, using and, and having the virtues that Christ has given us via the Holy Spirit of identity in Christ. So as we as we prepare to look at an example, we're going to look at Elijah. And <clears throat> I'm going to give you a brief summary of what's going on here before we read, because um, this is a very long narrative passage, a, a historical passage of, of a chronolo chronology of events. So while we won't read every verse, I want to give you a, a, a brief overview of what's going on. A few, few a few weeks ago, we preached uh, or we, we discussed in our, our Sunday morning sermon how Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal on, the, on Mount Carmel. And, and we, um, we talked about how there were some prophets of Baal and there were some prophets of, of the Asherah. There was like 4,500 false prophets. And one man, Elijah, under the uh, instruction of God, uh, went to Mount Carmel during a three-year drought. At the end of a three-year period, it had been dry, had not rained on the, on the land for three years. He had this battle with the, with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And they tried for over six hours to get Baal to come down and consume the offering that they had given uh, with fire. And he, he did not because he doesn't exist. And Elijah dug a trench around <clears throat> the, the offering and they built, rebuilt the altar, dug a trench around it <clears throat> and had them douse the offering three times with water. And he filled the trench with water. And then he prayed and exhorted God to come down and consume the, the uh, offering with fire so that Israel would know who the true God was. And God not only consumed the offering on the altar, but the fire that came down from heaven consumed not only the offering, but consumed the altar and looked up every bit of water that was in the trench. And there were and even the dust. There was nothing but a giant scorch mark, which proved the power of God. <clears throat> and uh, at, at now, now the portion of our scripture we're getting in today is going to be what happens afterward, what happens afterward. And it says in verse 41, and we're going to read this section here. It says in verse 41 of chapter 18, it says, Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, 
and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven more times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elisha, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. We're going to pause there. We're going to have a moment of prayer. Father God, we do thank you for the opportunity to exhort your word. <clears throat> we, we praise you for the opportunity to have a Bible that gives us not only practical historical lessons that we can learn from and grow from and apply to our lives, but there's so much spiritual truth from the table of contents to the maps and our Bibles to help us learn and grow in our understanding of not only your word, but who you are and what you expect from us. So I pray that during this time, the words that you've given me to, to preach to your people are clear, they're concise, and they have practical application. And I pray that if there's just one person here today that's watching online this morning, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that may be struggling in their life or their walk with you, that they reach out, we can pray together, we can encourage one another, and help them walk on the path that you've called them to. I pray that if there's anybody here who's lost their identity and who they are in Christ Jesus, if they've grasped onto something else, that they will be uplifted and encouraged to turn away and repent from their sinfulness and turn back to following you, for you are Lord and Savior. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So, so let's let's look at this uh, a, a few things. Like I said, uh, we, we're we're actually going to go all the way down to 19, chapter nineteen, verse eighteen. But that first part is the portion I wanted to read, so we can understand that the rains are going to come. It's been a three-year drought, a, a three-year drought in um in Israel. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I don't know that we could. I don't know what we would do if it didn't rain for three years here in uh, North Carolina or anywhere for that matter. But they've experienced it many times back in those days. So Elijah, it says Elijah dismisses Ahab and Elijah goes to pray. Elijah goes to pray. And it says um, he prays to lift this three-year drought. Now, if you, if you go back into 1 Kings, we didn't, we didn't really cover it. But in 1 Kings chapter 17, he predicts a drought to King Ahab. And, um, King, a and King Ahab uh, doesn't like Elijah, neither does Jezebel, his wife, because he he represents God, represents everything that they go against. And he represents um, truth and wisdom from the Lord. And he represents the power to create a drought. So he had there's a drought there. But this pray to the lift this prayer to lift the drought. And I think it's important to understand that I, Elijah is praying for deliverance for the nation of Israel. They've repented because they killed all the false prophets of Baal in the passage previous to the uh, preceding the one we just read. They killed all the prophets of Baal. So they repented. They're willing to turn from their wicked ways to acknowledge that God is sovereign over Israel. So Elijah's prayer as a prophet, he intercedes for them and he prays for their deliverance. He has a great faith and an expectation that God will answer. After all, God just consumed the offering altar, the dust of the earth and all the water a few moments prior to this. 
So Elijah sends his, sends his servant back seven times to check for the rain cloud that's coming as he diligently prays for rain seven times. And finally, on the seventh time, he gets an answer that there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. You know, a lot of times we when we pray, we don't we don't expect God to answer. And I, I, I struggle with that because if, if we if we trust God to enough to pray to him, to ask him to do something, why is it that we don't trust him to answer our prayers? But Elijah expects God to answer. He exhibits a great faith as a uh, as an example to the nation of Israel, an example to us today. So he sees this small cloud, and all he sees is a cloud as small as a man's hand. I mean, if you hold your hand up in front of your face, that's all he could see on the horizon. Elijah's servant, that's all he could see, was a small little cloud coming up from the sea. But with that vision of what they saw, Elijah tells his servant to go tell Ahab to get, get back to the house because he might not make it because of the storm. And get this, Elijah knows and God knows that if Ahab gets back before Elijah, the story about what happened on Mount Carmel might not be told as truthful as what happened by Ahab. He might try to say the prophets of Baal did it or you know, give some other credit to somebody else other than God. So what does God do? Ahab's in a chariot pulled by horses and God gives Elijah his hand behind him and pushes him to run faster than a, than a chariot. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, two horses can run pretty fast pulling a chariot. And Elijah outruns Ahab back to Jezreel to give them the good news. So I, I want us to understand a little bit, uh, two things from this passage. God moves in his time, in his time only. Although we would like him to move in our time, he doesn't always move in our time. He moves in his time. And just because it doesn't happen in our time doesn't mean he's not working. Elijah prayed seven times. Seven times he prayed. There's another story in 2 Kings about a man named Naaman who was, uh, who was, who was an Aramean. And the Arameans and the, and the Israelites didn't really like each other too much. And there was sometimes there was peace, sometimes there was war. But there was a man named Naaman who was a, a, a chief officer in the, in the Aramean army. And he came down with leprosy. And this is in 2 Kings chapter 4, I believe. I, I I can't remember off the top of my head at the moment, but I want to say 2 Kings chapter 4. And this is a beautiful picture of what happens. Uh, one, of the, one of the servant girls in the, in the palace of the Arameans is Jewish, and she tells the king, there is a man named Elisha, which is the prophet uh, after Elijah, that um, serves the, li the living God, the Hebrew God, and he could help him. So King Aram sends a note to the king of Israel and, and they talk and communicate and eventually Naaman goes over there and Elijah, Elisha's uh, instructions to Naaman are simple. Go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cleansed. And lo and behold, it happens that he dips in the Jordan River seven times, but he didn't do it at first. What he did at first was he complained about such a simple thing and how Elisha didn't even meet him face to face. And it was his servant that instructed him and said, if Elisha told you to do something drastic or hard, you would do it very easily. Why is it that he told you to do something so simple and yet your pride refuses to allow you to do it? There's a couple of things that get in the way, as this passage shows and that story I just shared with you shows. Sometimes we prevent God from moving in our lives. Sometimes our pride, sometimes our, our inability to comprehend things or inability to comprehend God, a simple, a simple solution to a problem that God gives us and we refuse to act on it. It's sad, but anyway, 
God moves at his speed. And just because he's not moving immediately in our lives doesn't mean he's not moving at all. But what I want us to understand in this passage of scripture as we go into losing our identity. Elijah, during this passage of scripture, holds true to his calling as a prophet of God. He holds true to his identity in God, and he holds true to the strength that's found in God. But what we're about to read and study here in chapter 19 is a vastly different person. as a 180-degree turn. And I want us to understand three things or three questions for us to think about and ponder. It's easy to find identity in God when he shows up in a big way. What about when he doesn't? What about when God doesn't show up in a big way? Do we still find our identity in him? Do we still trust and rest in his oracles and in his miracles and in his words that he'll never leave us or forsake us? Now, I can answer the question for myself, just like I could probably answer collectively for the majority of us. But a lot of times the answer is no. We find ourselves slipping and we lose our identity in God when he doesn't show up in a big way. We miss the many miracles and the many things every day. Like the hymn we just listened to, Greatest Thy Faithfulness, it says, morning by morning, new mercies I see. They could be as simple as taking a breath of fresh air in the morning when you wake up. It could be as simple as many other things. Second point here, do, do we fall short and find our identity and other things when God appears to be delayed? When we don't immediately see God working in our life, when we don't immediately see God doing something in our lives, do we fall short and fall away from our identity in God? A good example of that is the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses has been on the Mount, Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights communing and fellowshipping with God and getting the, the laws and the commandments and all these other things. And one thing happens. The nation of Israel, after only 40 days, just over a month, when they know that their prophet of the Lord is up there on that mountain, you know what they do? They go and they have Aaron make a golden calf so they can worship a God. We're no different. We, we idolize things and put things in front of God all the time when God doesn't appear to be working in our life. The point is Israel lost their identity and turned to a golden calf in just 40 days. The next passage of scripture is 19, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. And this is what it says. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she makes him a death threat. And he was afraid. He was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But that wasn't far enough for Elijah, no. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now. Oh, Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, Je uh, Jezebel makes him a death threat, and he runs away scared, drops his servant off, and continues to run farther south. And then he prays to God that God will take his life. It says in verse 5, He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, 
because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, a mountain of God. So I want us to examine this passage of scripture. It says, Elijah flees uh, from Jezebel. Jezebel sends a messenger, tells Elijah that she's going to kill him. Elijah fears death and he flees, drops off a servant in Judah, and he continues traveling. And he asks God to end his life. Now, this is interesting to me because the man who seemed so prominent uh, just moments before is now showing a lack of faith. He's showing a lack of emotional, physical, and spiritual strength. And he's showing a lack of identity in the sovereign God that he just represented. Now, there's another, there's another perspective you can look at this. We can't always live on the mountaintop. We're going to live where a lot of our life as Christians are going to be in the valley. Oswald Chambers describes the Christian life as the daily drudgeries of Christian life because we're going to be going down the mountain in the valley and going up the mountain more often than we're going to be on the mountaintop. But what happens when we're in that valley is most of the time when people lose their identity and who God is and who Jesus is. So this is God's response. God lets him rest. He feeds him twice by an angel that appears to him and feeds him hot food and a jar of water. So basically, even when we lose our identity and who God is and who Christ is, our Savior, he's still there. He's still there ministering to us. He's still there uh, attending to us, caring for us. His provisions are still there for us, but yet we slap him in the face because we lose our identity and who he is. It saddens me, really, to think that myself and other Christians struggle with that. Next, he says, uh, there's a couple of things here I want us to, <clears throat> to go over. It's easy to lose our identity in Christ. The world may be against us, but Joshua 1, 9, and many times in Joshua chapter 1, God, uh, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. And in Romans 8, 31, it says, if God be for you, who can be against you? If God be for you, who, you, who can be against you? Even when we start losing our identity, God still shows up and provides for us in verses 5 through 8. Elijah basically, in a way, is, exouting the, is doubting the existence of the same God that he proved existed a few moments prior. So he seeks counsel from God himself. He's going, as we will see, to Mount Horeb. He's going to the mountain of God where Moses received his calling and where Moses received the covenant. But the biggest thing I want us to understand practically is when we, when we begin to lose our identity, in God and Christ. What happens to us is called depression. There's clinical depression. There's there's other kinds of depression. Depression is, a, is an umbrella nowadays, and there's many topics that fall underneath it. But when we lose our identity in Christ and lose our identity in God, we get depressed. And you know what we do? We seek to come out of that depression in every way but seeking God. See, Satan tempts us with many things to fill that identity void. And if you look in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through, 19 through 21, and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, those passages of Scripture give us a little picture, not an exhaustive picture, but a little picture of what we do to fill the void of Jesus Christ in our lives. Some of us drink. Some of us do drugs. Some of us commit uh, fornication. All these things... Some of us go, go toward desires that 
are, are not right or, or are unbiblical. But the point is, we seek to fill the void of Jesus Christ in our lives, the lack of identity we find in Jesus. We seek to fill that void with worldly lusts. And it's easy to do that because it's all around us. We have to realize that we are not residents of this earth. We are residents of heaven when we accept Jesus Christ, and we're aliens sojourning on the earth. And we're supposed to be a testimony, a testament to the people who are around us of the works of God. Moving on to the next passage of Scripture. It says, Then he came, talking about Elijah, came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before God. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And, he, and a great and strong wind was rendering, rending the mountains and breaking it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind and earthquake, <clears throat> but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king of, Hazael, king of Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mohala, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. There's a few things we can we can learn from this passage of scripture. We must seek God to recover our identity. Once we start to lose our identity and who God is and our identity in Jesus Christ, it can't just come back to us. We have to realize that we have to seek him out because he's already been there holding on to us. We've turned away from him when we lose our identity. We must be like Elijah and go to God. He's on a mission. Why is he here? Now, the, 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 the question is asked twice. The voice that comes to him asks him twice, why is he here? And he gives the same answer in verses 10 and 14. He fears death from man. That's his fear. That's what causes him to lose his identity in, in God. And it's what causes us to lose our identity in Christ. We don't necessarily fear death, but we fear ridicule. We fear persecution. We fear all these things to our physical body. But what we don't understand is that the, what happens to us in the physical body doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what happens to us in our spiritual realm. God is for us. Sometimes it might be God's plan for us to die, and we have to be okay with that. 
Honestly, Elijah's lost his nerve because he lost his identity. The reason he fears death by Jezebel and, the, and man seeking to kill him is not because he, he just, not just because he lost his identity, but he's lost his nerve. He's lost his nerve. But what does he do? He runs to God. That's the biggest picture here of, of perfection. He runs to God, which is what we should do. Elijah's in the presence of the Lord. There's a strong wind, an earthquake, and a fire, and he's, God is not in any of those. Instead, what is God in? A gentle breeze. A gentle breeze. Elijah recognizes this as God. What we have to understand is that God's voice is small and still at times. It's ever so subtle in our lives, and that's why we often miss it. Because we're no different than the Pharisees and Sadducees in Jesus' day. We expect this grand, miraculous, big production. And that's not how God always works. A lot of times, God works in a slow, small, still voice that we have to listen to. And you know, really, only those who know Jesus can hear his voice. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of the parable of a good shepherd. And in John, in John chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Jesus says that only those who hear his voice will respond to him. He's using a parable of, of a shepherd. And back in the day, uh, John, the parable of the shepherd is, is, a, is about a, uh, it's a picture, a parable. It's a metaphor, if you will, of a, so people could relate to a, the story and, and get understanding. Back in the day, they had large corrals that they would keep all the sheep in. And there might have been five or six, seven, eight, ten, several different shepherds that kept their sheep in one place at night. And there was a doorkeeper. There was one way in and one way out. And the, the doorkeeper would lay down and the sheep would not jump over him at night. And he would keep them in there at night. And then during the day, when the shepherds wanted to take their, their sheep out the pasture, their flocks out the pasture, this is what would happen. They would, they would call their sheep. And only the sheep of that shepherd would respond because they knew his voice. And that's what Jesus, that, that's, that, that's this person here. Elijah is exemplifying in this passage of scripture, the same thing that Jesus was trying to teach. Only those who know God can hear his voice. Only those who know Jesus Christ can hear his voice and respond. Those who don't know him won't respond to him. And then God gives Elijah a plan of restoration. He says, anoint the different kings, anoint his successor in um, Elisha. And he says there's a 7,000 remnant in all of Israel that have not bowed their knee or kissed the statue of Baal. 7,000. God always has a plan. We need to listen to God because he's always speaking. But the question is, are we listening? See, if, if we've lost our identity in Christ, we're not looking to Christ. We're looking to ourselves because we're depressed. We've lost our identity. We've lost all sense of belonging. So now we're looking in every other direction except for God to fill that source of belonging and that source of identity. <clears throat> so the question I have is if God is speaking to us, can we hear him? If we're not his children, we can't. We can't hear God directing our lives if we're not his children. If we're not following his commands, we can't hear him. I want, I want us to address that very briefly as, as we wrap up here. If we're not following the commands laid out 
in the book. We can't hear God speak to us. And there's, there's a reason why. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict, to teach and disciple us, and convict us where we fail and where we stumble. If we're living a life that's not pleasing to God, then we're obviously not listening to the Holy Spirit's conviction on a regular basis to tell us that don't do stupid things. So if we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, which is of God, then how can we hear the word of God? The answer is you can't. It's a logical and rational explanation. It's very reasonable, logical train of thought to understand that if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction to turn and repent from our wicked ways that we're living, then we can't listen to and hear the word of God. So I have a question. Have we have we lost our identity? I like Elijah appeared to very briefly in his life. Or like Peter, when he stepped out of the boat, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he lost his identity. And for that brief moment, and he started to sink. So have we lost our identity? Or did we never have identity in Christ to begin with? That's the bigger question. Next week, we're going to dive into that passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 31, and, and the, the bigger passage of Scripture about Peter losing his identity in Christ. And we're going to cover a couple different times where Peter appeared to have lost his identity in Christ and what that looks like, what kind of despair that is, because that's a more, relatively speaking, Timeline-wise, that's that's closer to uh, to our timeline than, than Elijah was. But next week, we're going to be in that. But this week, I want us to think about that question. Have we lost our identity in Christ, or did we have identity in Christ to begin with? And as you search, seek to answer that question, I pray that if the answer is no to either one of those, that you reach out to me, reach out to one of our deacons, talk to them, pour your heart out to them. But better yet, pour your heart out to God. Seek him while he may be found. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I thank you for this time today, this, this opportunity to, uh, to preach the word, not just to preach the word, but to reveal and relay biblical truth to the people who are watching. To go through the example of what it looks like to lose your identity, a practical understanding of somebody who was zealous for God, but had a brief moment in time where they, they lost their identity and who they were. And they gave us a beautiful picture of how they fix it. They don't go to other people. They go to God. So I pray that today, if there's somebody listening or watching or some kind of combination of the two that does not know you, they don't have an identity in you, or they have identity in Christ, through their salvation experience, but they're living a life that doesn't reflect that because they've lost their identity in you. I pray that they come to you. They seek you while you may be found. They search for you to find you, and they come back to you so they can pour their heart out to you before the throne of mercy and grace and seek reconciliation, and they repent from their wickedness. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ I, I do so humbly pray that we so humbly pray Amen.